All right, I'm ready for this. Let's do a scatterbrain podcast today. Yeah, we're back. The Unsuckable Podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. Um, got a plethora of topics today to discuss. And we're kind of going to be a little bit all over the place, but I can guarantee you it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. And we're going to have a full house after um, Joshua and I did a quick snappy podcast in the holidays discussing some transfer news we're back with a full house but yeah josh how's it going um you excited for the all the toronto stuff that's happening now that insignia is pretty much done and Pelotti is next and um they're signing a bunch of defenders salcedo apparently is coming crescendo is coming in um you must be pretty pretty thrilled about what's happening at tfc yeah, it's it's wild. I actually did a uh, a video yesterday, which is an, I thought it was an interesting one. I was just trying to see kind of like the the why now situation of TFC going for all these transfers because they pull off not only Insigne but but Bellotti and and Salcedo as well, and whoever else they decide to bring in. Jervinko has been linked there as well. It, it would be one of the biggest off seasons from an MLS club in history, and I just kind of tied it back to is this is is Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment looking around at the hype of mm-hmm. soccer in this country and, and our national team and seeing that the the sellout at Tim Hortons Field, all those tickets were sold out before they even hit the market. Is this something that they want to capitalize on? What's the strategy to do that? Is this why they're 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 doing it now? Which is it's super exciting and it's in my opinion it's already working because I'm sitting here and if they sign all these players, I'm itching to go watch a game live if COVID allows me to. But it's pretty exciting, it's, um, and I, I had a good good holidays. Good to have everyone back. I know you and I did did a nice little mm-hmm. podcast on Insigne, but uh, a couple of other boys are back, and I mean, you actually were even able to uh, meet one of the podcast uh, crew here in person, Manuel. Yeah, I got to hang out with Adrian. Uh, Adrian came home to Vancouver Island, and we, we did a nice hike, as you do on Vancouver Island, and we went out um, as well. Um, went to a German restaurant that was fun, and then uh, went to a cocktail bar where you could essentially just tell the bartender whatever drink you wanted and they would do like just throw like you gave them flavor profiles and they did it for you at Clark and Co here in Victoria it was fun eh, Adrian it was it's great seeing you man it's great hanging out um I heard you had some troubles getting home though yeah I did I had some troubles getting home I was stuck on the tarmac for four hours which was snow man Vancouver snow Oh my God, flying in Canada in the winter, like buyer beware. But no, it was great. And it was obviously a highlight to be able to meet up those cocktails. You know, I did, I'll be honest, I woke up with a headache the next morning. I was not mm-hmm. feeling spectacular because it's just too easy. When the cocktails are so good, they come up to you, you want to try a new combination. Let me try a smoky and a sweet. Let me try a spicy and a whatever. It was it was great. It was really good fun. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this scatterbrain podcast. It's going to be like, Speaking to your friends about football at a bar, we're going to jump from topic to topic, sort of somewhat coherently, hopefully. Yeah, somewhat coherently, I hope as well. And um, I know someone who has absolutely nothing to do with snow and uh, glad to have you back, Filippo. Um, I hope your holidays were wonderful. I hope it's nice and sunny in Florida. Uh, a little jealous. Um, can't I, I can't stand snow anymore. For me, it's about a week, week max, unless it's on a mountain, it's useless. But I guess snow is not an issue for you, right? Yeah. And I mean, you all are more than welcome to come visit here in Florida. You know, it's been warm here all winter. I'm heading to Texas later this week, though, which is a little bit colder than Florida. Looking forward to that as well. And I'm looking forward to this episode. Looking forward to this episode. I look through the topics. We're going to be all over the place today, essentially. And this is going to be lots of fun for any big time soccer or football fan. It's going to be lots of fun, and hopefully in 2022, uh, we continue this podcast to be very successful, and we don't get canceled. That's the goal. (laughs) Don't get canceled. You might have to change your Twitter behavior a little bit for that, Filippo, but um, (laughs) it's all in good fun, isn't it? I think that's what people don't quite realize, that it is a social media. It's it's not the real world. Um, Keep it easy. But yeah, we have quite a bit to chat about and um i'm gonna go to you first because you are working on a video about christian erickson i saw today that he is back in training in spain of course um we all remember what happened to him in that opening game uh, for denmark's opening game um where his heart stopped and he said in an interview it stopped for five full minutes he was dead for five minutes um he is back in training with all the research you have done on the topic, what's your sense of what's going to happen to him next? 
I think that he's going to play again. And uh, it could be for a top team. You know, there was a lot of talk back in August when he was sort of coming back into the public eye with his visit to Inter, etc., where there was a lot of talk where Ajax were interested in him. I don't know how much credibility you can give to those rumors, but it certainly seems like if he is to return, and by all means, it looks like he is going to return, then it could be for a top team. And I think that's interesting about Ericsson's stance on this, is that, you know, going back to those to those interviews that came out recently, maybe it's just the intricacies of the translation, but in saying things like, you know, I want to play with the national side at Park and, and prove that this was just a one-time thing and it won't happen again. You know, it's almost as if he's he's embarrassed about dying for five minutes, which is crazy to say, as if people will judge him for it. But I guess what he wants is just to be treated like Christian Eriksen, the athlete again, not get any sort of, you know, hey, pal, you better take it easy or different treatment because of what happened. And I think what's really promising about all of this is that one of his former teammates in Daily Blind has been playing a massive role for Ajax under Eric Ten Hag, as we know. He even played at Euro 2020. And he's been playing with the same ICD or, or pacemaker since the end of 2019. So while each situation is unique and will have to be analyzed as such, there is certainly a lot of optimism for Ericsson continuing his playing career. Yeah, definitely interesting that. Um, what do you guys think, Josh and Filippo? Um, I'm really on the fence with this one because I know that the the Philip Raider that they put in on his heart or in his heart, um, technically speaking in Italy, that's illegal now for him to play. And what's your general sense with this? Will we see him back? What do you think, Josh? I mean, it's I, we knew right away he would, we wouldn't see him back in Italy. We we knew that. That's why um, Chalnaglu was signed on a free. He was the replacement for Christian Eriksen because they're not allowed to play with a heart defibrillator in, in Italy, which led to a lot of rumors at the beginning. And this is just going back from, from my memory of people hypothesizing, will Ericsson play? Where will he play? And and for me, Ajax made a lot of sense. I mean, he obviously started and became pretty well known there before making the, the jump to England. And he was successful. He enjoyed the league. And you are allowed, that was a big thing, you are allowed to play with a heart defibrillator in that league. And I mean, it's it's hard because I don't know what Christian Eriksen's is thinking, but I mean, it's one of the most scary things in the world. I mean, he he literally he died for five minutes. That's that's terrifying. But he's also a professional athlete. He's someone who has made it to the top level and is one of the one of the best players in the world at at one point. And it's hard to get rid of that mentality because he's had a and every professional athlete has to have a good mentality to be able to get to where you made it in your career. And he did such a good job. And now it's probably hard for him to consider giving up because that's not what makes a professional athlete a professional athlete. I'm sure that he's had a lot of different talks. Daily Blint obviously was mentioned. Um, I'm assuming he probably went to every player that would have an indicator of what it would be like to, to play with a heart defibrillator, but he ultimately has to make that decision himself. And I, I wish the best with him because it would be great to see him because he's still got some years left at, at the top level. But I, my guess is he will, will play because it seems like he wants to. And I would probably lean towards the Netherlands just from some familiarity as well. Uh, me personally, I haven't really been following much of Ericsson's story, so most of what I know is what I just heard from you guys. I don't have a strong opinion on it. Uh, it's it's really just a personal decision from him and his doctors. And I mean, if there's no health, if there's no risk towards his life, because I think the priority for him should be his life. I guess do whatever you like, whatever you can play, go for it. We do know uh, we do know that quality he still has, right? Even how far Denmark made it towards the the Euros. Part of it, I mean, obviously he fell first, but he was one of the best um, players in that squad that made it so far, and they're in the World Cup as well. But I'll leave it to you guys here. I know Adrian has something to say too. Yeah, just that, you know, there's been rumors that a return to England could be possible. His manager, or sorry, his agent, I should say, has been saying that that's something he would be absolutely interested in because it felt like home there. Um, obviously, Ajax, who we've spoken about at length, that could be a possibility as well. But for him, you know, he seems to be quite confident that he's good to go. He doesn't seem scared at all. That's one of the things that the interviewer asked him about was, are you nervous that this is going to happen again? And he answered with no, because if it does happen again, I have something in place that will get me, you know, that will just put my heart back in rhythm again. Basically, when it goes out of rhythm, it just shocks it back into rhythm. So he's not worried about it at all. He's not scared. He seems very confident. Um, and it's just going to be a case of who is going to allow him or which country will allow him to compete in it. If it is England, they have said that, you know, it will be a case by case situation. All of the testing that he's had so far has pointed towards him being able to play. Um 
And, you know, obviously the Netherlands, they have that, that track record of allowing players with pacemakers to play, at least in the case of Daley Blin. So it's interesting to see. And I just hope that we get to see him again because uh, he was such a special player. And when he was at his best, he's one of the most enjoyable players to watch out there. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting story to follow. Um, there's an interesting interview that I read around the time when it happened to Ericsson with a German player who um, couldn't come back because um, the process of the, the pacemaker actually jumping your heart back into existence um, is quite painful. And uh, it happened to him a few times. So I wish him all the best that it is not the, that is not the case for him. Um, Filippo, you were keen to discuss something um, as well. And that was the youth tournament, the Copa Sao Paulo, I believe it's called, right? And it is kind of an interesting tournament. Those who are not so familiar with it. Um, it's a jumping off point for a lot of young Brazilian talent. And yeah, I think it's it's started already. And it is something that in Brazil gets a lot of attention, but not quite as much abroad. I think it's a good time to change that, right? Yeah, not just attention, but many should look into it. Copa São Paulo, which we call in Brazil the Copinha, is essentially a U20 tournament with over 120 clubs or around 120 where you unite the best clubs of Brazil. So the biggest ones, Flamengo, Corinthians, Palmeiras, Cruzeiro, all those clubs are there. But you also get some very small clubs from poor areas in Brazil, right? You give opportunities to kids to get scouted. And we all know how much talent Brazil has just because of the size and popularity of the sport in the country. So it, it is something quite interesting to watch. And many legendary players went through that. It plays a key role in the development of players in Brazil. Obviously, there's much more to it, right? There's the youth levels on futsal. These are players that are mostly 16, 17, 18, or 19-year-olds. So they're towards the end of their development. But it usually is how the coach scouts them and brings them into the first team. So Cafu played in the Copinha before he moved up to the senior squad. Dida, Neymar, Marquinhos, most recently, obviously, Marquinhos and Gabriel Jesus. Anthony that destroyed Dortmund during the Champions League. Dortmund, uh, Josh definitely knows about Anthony that plays for Ajax. He played in the Copinha recently. And I started watching it today, and there's some interesting talents in many different teams. I watched Palmeiras more specifically. Maybe clubs abroad should scout. I think some of them do, right? Because how else did Real Madrid find Vinicius Jr.? Right, Vinicius Jr. didn't. I believe he played in the Copinha, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember, but I believe he did. And and I think many clubs abroad should go scout this, maybe even MLS, because you can probably find some very young, cheap talent, and some of them are world class potential. We've seen it with many Brazilians that have gone abroad and now with Vinicius at at Real Madrid. So it's definitely a tournament worth watching. I recommend it. it's lots of fun. You're seeing a lot of young, talented players and. That's pretty much it. And I, I wish the United States would adopt this tournament and have a Copina with USL, MLS, UPSL, all these teams involved that would help development quite a bit. But I think that's a topic for a different podcast. That would be long. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah, we think we would. I think um, there is the MLS Next Pro that's coming in next year, um, or this season, actually. Sorry, we're already in 2022. Um, and... Um, it's but that one, a, but that one's just reserves. That's not age cap. Well, it's it's not age cap, but it is um, it is open to not just MLS teams. Um, it is currently only MLS teams, twenty one, including St. Louis. I did a story on that today, right? Because they announced um, Bradley Canal as the new head coach, and I spoke with both Lutz van Stiel, the sporting director, and Bradley Canal yesterday ahead of the announcement, and they both pointed out that actually having MLS Next Pro. Um, is a big thing for them because they want to start the, their first ever league uh, campaign with homegrown players, right? Um, and so having this MLS Next Pro is is a good thing for them. But it's also interesting because, like, yeah, there's 21 teams. Um, all but one are from MLS. Um, Rochester's the only exception, right? And um, But the idea with this league is that it is open to anyone. So Rochester see, Rhinos, owned yeah, by Jamie Vardy? Or Marley Rochester Rhinos. I think they know called New York. Jamie Vardy. Yeah, Jamie Vardy is involved. That's correct. And so it is a kind of like a Division three, but also um, a youth development program. And I think that a lot of the teams that you see in right now, they will get their own individual names as well. They will be owned by the individual MLS teams, right? But it's not going to be like St. Louis 2 or like... 
Um, I think Seattle is like Tacoma defines. Just add right? one thing, add to one thing from what you said too. Uh, the, one of the things that I like about the Copinha is they don't only get these official clubs, right? Sometimes some teams could yeah. be a random team from a favela that kids that don't have opportunity, they come in and that's how you find sometimes um, interesting players, right? Brazil even has a tournament named Taça das Favelas, which is pretty much the Favelas Cup, which is only Favelas team. And they found fantastic players there as well. Uh, even the the CDM for Palmeiras that won the Libertadores came out of it. So I think these tournaments, obviously we don't have favelas in the United States, fortunately. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, it would be nice to have tournaments where certain areas could get their clubs involved in, and get better scouting and in the MLS territorial rights. But that again, that's a different topic. And open up grassroots a little bit more, right? Agreed. Yeah, I, I think that is definitely a step where they want they, they need to find some way to do it. If it's maybe a, an open youth cup or something like that, um, but guys, we have a lot more other things to talk about. And um, Josh, the two of us were chatting um, before the show. So the Bundesliga is supposed to kick off on Friday, right? That's the it latest. is <laughs> maybe. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so th this is the latest that I have. Uh, of course, Alfonso Davies tested positive this morning uh, or this afternoon, depending on which time zone. Um, and that leaves Bayern Munich with currently nine first-team players and three goalkeepers. Um, they have, of course, more than that because then they've registered amateur players or what we call in Germany the Amateure, which is Bayern Munich 2, right? Or Bayern München Amateure. Um, which is the second team which plays in the fourth division. Um, they're not amateurs. They they paid for under contract, which of course could mean that Bayern might be forced to play this game after all because they might find 15 players. Um, and if they find 15 players that they have currently registered, then the DFL will make them play. Um, but, you know, we look at Bayern and I know you're a Dortmund fan and you kind of said good before <laughs> <laughs> when I said the DFL might make them play. But the reality is also Omicron is super contagious. Um, and if it gets into one club, it's probably going to get into many clubs. And I think this is probably just the tip of the iceberg right now, right, Josh? Yeah, it's a little nerve wracking. And when I when I said good, it was it was kind of a, a joke. But just at the same time, like I, I, I we've seen games played so far, like the game that the, the famous game that happened earlier this year in Portugal, where. Um, it was it was embarrassing. It should never have gone through, and it's not a good look. So there's I guess there's two sides of the coin. Is, is one if they that game went through and other different games go through, why should this one be any different? But at the same side, it's like if you are able to postpone it, then maybe you stop an outbreak of happening and infecting Gladbach players because we don't know out of those nine players who tested negative, some of them could actually have COVID, and it could just start a whole different thing. And on top of that. It's supposed to be the kickoff game of the Bundesliga. It's going to be Gladbach. It's going to be Bayern. It's supposed to be a good good matchup. And instead, if it goes ahead, it could turn into a a big thing where the game is not very good because who knows exactly what players will play for Bayern. Have a situation where keepers are playing out. I, I don't know exactly how to go down, but it is a little bit worrying for me. And the biggest thing for me, because I hope the game's able to, to play and it's all under control, but at the same time, if it does get played, I'm very worried that this can be an outbreak and it's just going to put the, the league on pause. So the Bundesliga said to me today, or the DFL rather, which is the governing body of the Bundesliga, told me today that at the moment the game is scheduled to go ahead. Um, by the time this pot, I assume it will come out tonight, um, Canadian Times or, or North America Times. So um, by the time the podcast comes out, it might be still accurate, but by the time everyone wakes up tomorrow morning, it might not be. Um, it's such a fluid situation. And people are saying it's like March 2020 again. Uh, well, it's not quite because Omicron is A, not as contagious. It's not as dangerous. It's a lot quicker. Um, sorry, it's more contagious, but it's not as dangerous. And um, it affects people way more. And we have a completely different set of weapons against COVID now, right? We are all vaccinated. Um, we have treatment options. People are no longer going on ventilators and all that sort of stuff. It's kind of become this thing where it is impacting us a lot, but um, it's impacting us a lot because it's more of a danger to infrastructure and in our case, danger to games because it takes players out and in some cases, five days. And there's some confusion about too about how quarantine works in Bavaria. Um, 
if this if you are infected with a variant of concern, your quarantine period is actually uh, 14 days, um, even if you don't have symptoms and you cannot test yourself out until day 13. So we'll have to see which variant um, this one is. And I assume it's Omicron because everything is Omicron and Bavaria is a little bit different than the rest of Germany. Um, there were some worries about Davies coming back to Canada. Um, that's not a problem because in Canada, in, the, in, the, in, in our government's infinite wisdom, they've decided that if you have a negative test, you can come back. It has to be within 72 hours. But if you have a positive test for six months, um, of course, you have to be double vaccinated at least. For six months, you do not need a negative test to come back if you've tested positive. Um, so that's for David and Davies um, get out of jail for free card for a long time. Um, I assume, I hope that our government gets the census and opens the borders in the next six months um, because it seems a little ridiculous what we're doing now. But yeah, that's a, that's a lot of confusion. I mean, we've seen it kind of looking at England, um, right, Filippo? That's been a hot mess. I know that you follow the Premier League, but there's been games canceled all over the place, um, you know, reshuffled. Um, the schedule that's already super tight. Liverpool today had a game cancelled. Um, of course, in the Caribou Cup, not in the Premier League. But it's been a hot mess. It's been a real annoyance. Yeah, it's been it's been quite confusing, right? Some not not just um, not just games getting cancelled out of nowhere, but also sometimes you see a team with their lineup and you can't even recognize some of the names that are there. As someone that watches the Premier League, and from time to time, I like to bet a little bit of money on the Premier League. Very low money, guys. I'm not telling anyone to gamble here. But I, I, I tend to like go ahead and, and put in the money on a team. Now I have to wait till the last minute to see who's playing, if the game will happen, right? Because a lot of them have been canceled. It's been kind of messy. Almost as messy as Manchester United, but not quite. <laughs> yeah, Manchester United. I was going to ask you about that next. But maybe we're out of time and we can't really do that. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone is going to light the lamp. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. But I, I'm really curious, guys. And Josh, I want to bring you back in here too. Because in Germany, we're going to have empty stadiums. Um, because of Omicron, they're handling it a lot stricter. Um, I mean, we're, we're in Canada right now and we're familiar with the whole crowd restriction thing because Canada, I think, has a very similar approach to Germany in a lot of ways, depending on which province you live. But in as much, do you feel the product is suffering from this? And in as much as the product not just suffering because we don't know what the lineups are? And I think that's actually a huge problem. And gambling is like, there's a can of worms if we open that. And we say, okay, is that even legitimate to gamble on these games at the moment? Because we don't know what the lineups are, right, of COVID. But then there's the whole other aspect. The Bundesliga is a product that lifts so much through its fan experience. And that's dead at the moment. So w w the product is suffering enormously right now. Yeah, it, it is. And I was lucky enough to be able to, to go to Germany and, and go to, to see Dortmund play live. And and that's 81,000 people who made that experience what it was. I couldn't imagine. I wouldn't even think about, I mean, COVID aside, I wouldn't even travel there to go to a game if it wasn't a full stadium. That's what you want to see. That's the beautiful thing about the Bundesliga. It's They have so many incredible stadiums with obviously help generate a lot of money. But it also, these are what players are used to playing in front of. 80,000 people. Can you imagine like scoring a goal being Holland or, or scoring a goal being Lewandowski and going in front of 75 to 80,000 people jumping up and down 
and it's a huge lift to the side and it not being there it's not the way football was meant to be played it just it simply wasn't and it, it's a it's a shame that as soon as it looks like we're getting back to normal we just continually get knocked back down and 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 it sucks and i've seen you on twitter manual and you're pretty passionate about how upset you are seeing game being played behind closed doors because it's it's simply just it's just not not how it's meant to be it's it's sad and i think the only country and correct me if i'm wrong i mean england hasn't seemed to bother them too much they keep pressing on but those games are just they're so much more attractive even from a visual standpoint of watching it on tv which is what i mean i have to do i it's way nicer watching games with a full stadium the passion the love than it is watching a completely empty stadium yeah there's no question i think that anyone would prefer to see a full stadium rather than an empty one the only thing that was kind of cool about the empty stadiums during the first wave or the second or whatever i've lost count of the waves at this point who knows um but was just to hear the players interacting with each other that was the one thing that was kind of interesting the rest of it was crap and it seems like it's it's not going away anywhere i mean in italy for example you know, the Serie A just had an emergency meeting um, and they basically decided that they're not going to postpone matches, even though teams are having these breakouts of players or they're being ordered to quarantine. And what makes it all the more confusing, really, is the fact that the original protocol was that the local health authorities would have the power or the sway in order to say whether the games would go ahead or not. And now the Serie A is saying, well, no, we're not going to postpone. So there's going to be a lot of cases where, you know, like we saw with Juventus and Napoli last season, you're going to have one team show up, they're going to do their warm up, the other team's not even going to show up to the stadium, and then that match is just going to be awarded to the other team. So it's just a mess. And, and a lot of the leagues aren't really helping themselves by just pushing on in some cases, because like you guys said, the sporting quality just goes down the toilet, basically. I think it's a great reflection of what's going on in general society, though, guys. I mean, we're having this patchwork of rules and regulations at the moment. And um, there was a huge outcry, for example, in British Columbia yesterday because, well, a huge outcry, the 200 people on Twitter that think that they're the majority saying that we're not doing enough, right? Um, and I jokingly said on Twitter, like, if you don't, if you want a lockdown and you want restrictions, move to Ontario and Quebec. Um, that's said in BC, we have restrictions as well. It's just not as tough, but... It seems like there is like such a diverging opinion on what's the right thing to do with this virus. And um, people lean to two extremes to either say, let's don't do anything. That's a 20% on the right. And let's do everything. That's a 20% on the left. And the vast majority of us is probably happy with a limited amount of restrictions that are sensible. Um, but we sort of get washed up by these two opposite poles, right? Pulling at each other. And it's very frustrating and it's even more frustrating. It's frustrating for the people that have followed the rules. And I'm certainly one of them. And I think everyone here is if you see the rules change all the time and it's arbitrary. And I think in football, we're kind of caught in that as well, that a lot of the rules seem very arbitrary. You know, like you mentioned just now, Adrian, like in Italy, we don't know what the rules are. In, in the Bundesliga is going to kick off. We're going to have 3,000 people in Berlin in the stadium. We're going to have zero in Dortmund. Um, Munich, the quarantine area, is 14 days. Somewhere else in Germany, it's five. You know, like, football reflects the reality on the ground, and it's becoming a joke. And it's I think people are getting frustrated with it because we don't know what the actual rules are. And look at us at this podcast. We're reporting now, and we don't know what the rules are tomorrow and what's going to happen, right? And I think... Um, <laughs> It's going to be really interesting to see how this is going to impact clubs financially as well, because I spoke to an agent today, a couple of agents actually, and they said to me that the transfer window is dead, right? And um, I mean, Josh, Borussia Dortmund is a team very bigly impacted by this. Um, the, now the understanding is that they're not going to do anything because it's 3.5 million uh, euros every time they have a full stadium. Yeah, I, I didn't think they were going to do anything regardless, but <laughs> um, it, it's an interesting one. I mean, I've I've been covering Dortmund for, for a while now, and ever since COVID happened, they've definitely been massively hit by it, and they just don't have an interest of diving into the transfer market. And the most common thing, and it's an easy question to ask, and, it, and it's a fun one, but I, I don't like to to say things that I truly just don't believe are going to happen because I the number one question I get asked when I'm doing like watch-alongs on, on Dortmund is, 
who are we, who, who we transferring? Who, who's coming in? Who's going out? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? And I'm just like, no one. There's, there's, there's no way they're going to do it. And then we've seen a couple links, like for some reason, and I'm just going to toss it out there because it's funny. Aubameyang was linked back for a quarter of a second and then it was quickly denied. And then the statement, which was, I was expecting Dortmund will have a quiet window. Dortmund will not sign anyone. And that is just how it is. And the COVID aside, Dortmund have been a little bit tight on, on the wallet, but it's, it's a shame because they could definitely use a little bit of, of, of spice up in that back line of theirs, potentially even a winger. Um, but it's an interesting, it goes through a deeper debate of whether Dortmund truly don't have the money. I don't know if they can't pull something along of the, the bars away, or if they just want to hold off until the summer, or if they want to use it as an excuse not to invest in the club in January because overpriced players in January winter are always sometimes a bit of a risk. It's an interesting one, Manuel. I'm curious to see what, what you think of, of it. Yeah, and I think we should probably um, get the other two guys into this debate. But one thing that I was told today, be be careful of rumors. Um, agents are desperate to create them at the moment. And um, that's why you see certain players linked to all these big clubs in in all over Europe. And it's actually not true because the market is so dead. And the only way to generate something is by, let's say, I'm going to link my player who is nowhere near ready to Manchester United and Liverpool and all these clubs because it actually generates interest. And agents have to resort to this sort of stuff right now because the market is so quiet and dead and teams are so careful with what they have because they don't know whether Omicron is going to pass in a month and the stadiums are going to be full again or if it's going to be another six months and we're talking about hundreds of millions of euros lost. So it's, it's a really interesting one. Um, I mean, we mentioned it earlier, right? And this this is, I find this fascinating um, that Barcelona, for example, signed Ferran Torres. And that very well might be the biggest transfer we see this this upcoming winter, right, Adrian? I mean, that's one of those things like you cover Portuguese football a lot. And that's a league that's very dependent on transfers. But even there, I think it's pretty quiet, right? Yeah, I mean, so far... Uh... Look, I don't expect anything to really happen in this transfer window um, of of any sort of, you know, note, really, especially in Portugal. Um, but back to that Ferran, Tans- Ferran Torres transfer, whew, put them all together. Um, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand how it really came to be. Um, Barcelona has a long history over the last two to three seasons or maybe more saying that they have no money that they're running into bankruptcy constantly. And yet they still, you know, are signing players. We had Laporta saying like, watch out. Barcelona is back. They were linked with Morata, which has been killed off by Allegri, by the way. Um, and they have shown some sort of intent to sign Holland as well. So the only way that I can understand that happening, that they're able to do so is just, you know, you, you kill debt with more debt, even though you're not really killing it. Of course, that's sort of the joke, but I, I don't get it. And I think that the relaxing of the FFP, the financial fair play, is the only way that this sort of went through. Because other than that, it doesn't make any sense. This is a, you know, we're broke, we're broke, we're broke. We need the Super League. We're broke. We don't have any money. We're going to lose Lionel Messi because we don't have any money. But, oh, we'll just drop the biggest transfer of the January transfer window out of nowhere. I mean, I, I, I need someone else to do an explainer on it because I don't understand their finances. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, Philippe, do you make sense of this? I absolutely do not. Uh, what I've been hearing from Barcelona is that they're going to go bankrupt. They're finished. They're done. They don't have pretty much everything Adrian was saying. But you forgot to say one thing, too. Not just Ferran Torres. They've been linked to Holland. They've been, they're, they're making, what are they doing? Renovations at Camp Nou, apparently. Uh, something like that. Maybe you guys can, can add on to that information. I saw that they have a huge project that will cost millions and millions of dollars here. I don't know. I don't know, man. I thought I thought Barcelona was bankrupt. They were done in debt, but it seems like they they still got money to spend, right? And they haven't really sold players. They haven't really profited, right? Because they got rid of Messi's salary, but they didn't sell Messi. They're gonna lose Dembele for free. They didn't really sell Greensman, I believe, right? He was loaned, or I don't know what's going on in Barcelona, man. It's um interesting story. It's very interesting to see what's gonna happen there. Yeah, I find it very odd that all of a sudden they found this uh, fountain of money. Um, it's going to be an interesting one to follow for sure. Manuel, maybe it's Monopoly money. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know anymore. Like, as some football stuff 
finances make very little sense to me. And I think this is a good transition, Filippo. Um, you and I and a lot of other people got really heavily burned last week in terms of transfers. And some people took it very personal. I think most people really understood that things can change in terms of transfers really quickly. Um, Ricardo Pepe, $18 million to Augsburg. Now, if you, if you saw that coming without, if you saw that coming a month ago, you know, if you saw it coming a few days before because you had some good insider information, fine. But if you saw that a month ago, you were straight up lying. No one did, right? Um, a deal, they were very far with Augsburg. The deal was pretty much through until this 8 million above market, no, 10 million above market value, 8 million above what Wolfsburg offer came in and uh, the deal got hijacked by Augsburg. Um, I think it's still a massive surprise. Where did Augsburg that have never spent more than 10 million euros on a player found all this money, right? It's super interesting. And how did you see it all develop? So a couple of things. First, to the people that got, which was a minority, right? That got angry that we reported one club, Wolfsburg, and then he went to Augsburg. People that work with journalism, right, can only talk about what we're told. And if Manuel was told that it was Wolfsburg, that's what he reported. Now, if you pre-ordered a Wolfsburg jersey as soon as you saw that and then you got angry because he went to Augsburg and now you're stuck with a Wolfsburg jersey, I don't know what to tell these people. But... Yeah, so people just want to be angry about things and they found a way to be angry because like, oh, you said he was going to go to Wolfsburg, uh, but whatever. So it's still a surprise to me. I don't know what to think about it. I'm not going to lie. I probably never watched an Augsburg game in my life. And if I did, it was probably like, I don't remember. It's probably Augsburg versus maybe Dortmund uh, trying to watch Giovanni Reina. Or I, I don't know much about Augsburg, but what I do know Based on what Josh told me, I saw also Derek Ray talking about it with Hurt Gomez. I did some research on them. It's a team that doesn't really create many opportunities, right? And as a center forward, that's usually the type of team you don't want to join, right? A team that doesn't create much, a team that defends for their lives. So could Pepe still perform and maybe jump to a bigger team eventually out of that Perhaps, but I, I just don't think I, I just don't want American fans to be deluded thinking Pepe's gonna come in and drop 10 goals in 17 games. One that would already be very tough in Bundesliga with a team that does create opportunities for their forwards. Now he's going to a team where he's gonna have to be highly efficient to score. He's not gonna get many chances. And I don't know how to feel about it. It's, it's weird. It was um, the, apparently the American investor came in and that's how the deal got done. We'll see. Um, I'm excited and happy for Pepe. It was a big number, so he's going to get minutes. But if, if I told you that I was overly optimistic in regards to the club that he landed, I would be lying. David S. Blitzer. I think uh, before we discuss him, Josh, you have a thing to say as well? Um, no, I just I, thought... I just thought I'd I'd pipe in just a, just a touch just because um just because I think it's a it's a it was a crazy transfer and like you guys said no one could have saw it coming um but I I think that Pepe deserves a lot of credit to to take that jump knowing that a he could have maybe stayed in in the MLS a little bit longer but I mean a lot of U.S. fans just like us Canadians we want to see our players go towards the the, the bigger leagues and and making this move to Wolfsburg that there was still a debate of whether how much playing time he'd really get. And I know the style of Augsburg. I know Manuel does too. It's mm. it's not the prettiest football you're ever going to see, but um, he'll he'll have to sink or swim. And and I'm very curious to see how he does. Uh, it, it'll be a good opportunity for him. And and I think he just does deserve a lot of credit for an 18 year old to make this type of play because uh, he's got to look at the team and look at where they're in the standings. And realize, okay, I got to be very very efficient when these chances come in because they'll be few and far between. Yeah, but. A hundred percent. I agree with you. Um, I, I mean, Augsburg is, can be a difficult club to watch, um, which is another reason why it surprised me. But I think, the, you know, them fighting relegation, uh, they, they might team to go down every year and somehow they always survive. And um, unfortunately, I think they're also a club that hasn't really offered much to this league in terms of, of adding something to it. They're not a blue chip club. 
a little bit outside of Munich. They like in terms of popularity, even within Bavaria where they're located, uh, are behind 1860 uh, by uh, obviously behind Bayern, but also behind 1860 Nuremberg um, and a couple other teams, right? And so it's a little bit of a hmm, difficult one. On the other hand, you know they are very ambitious. Um, and David S. Blitzer, uh, they brought in or the, the the club president Klaus Hoffmann brought in an investor um, who, who bought forty five percent share of the shares that owns. Um, who holds the club uh, of the company that owns the club shares. Um, so it's a little bit diluted and where the money is, the structure is very confusing and um, not necessarily always compliant with 50 plus one, I've been told, but it's a completely different story. Um, and so they have, they have ambitions to break into the US market and they also want to stay in the Bundesliga because if they don't stay in the Bundesliga, this investment will be for nothing. And um, there is a chance they could go down this year. Um, I think there's a real chance and there's a real chance every year. So it will be interesting to see if they, they can actually survive. Um, I mean, that's, that's a big, big, big if, right, Filippo? Yeah, I, I wanted to ask more towards, especially Manuel and Josh, because I know you guys follow Bundesliga closely. I think Adrian follows it somewhat like me, right? He knows what's going on, but I don't think he watches it religiously like you guys do. Was Ricardo Pepe really the signing that Augsburg truly needed? Because if you have a team that doesn't create, the problem that you need to solve is not really the center forward, right? It's probably the midfielders or the wingers or whatever it is. Was Obviously, I'm assuming Pepe does make them better, right? They paid a lot of money for him, and he's definitely a great center forward, high ceiling, and has delivered for the United States, has delivered for Dallas at such a young age. But was he the signing they truly needed. That's what I wanted to know from Manuel or Josh. What are your thoughts on that based on what you know from Augsburg? I, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, knowing knowing how Augsburg play, like I said, I, I like to put them in that kind of stubborn way of playing, whether it's the 3-5-2, a 4-4-2. But I mean, they like to have a two-striker system. And a big reason why you want to survive is if you your goal scorers can can produce and and I think like like you told me a little bit earlier, Felipe, when you're looking at the stats, their strikers aren't scoring. So if you're looking at a very strategic way, and, and again, I, I know I do kind of believe that he is the right guy, but I think a, a big reason to that is if you're going to hit the U.S. market, why not go for one of the young players that are breaking into the starting eleven that's getting so much hype um, that can come in and actually do a difference? And they they because Asper do have decent Bundesliga quality strikers but they're just not really producing this season and if Pepe can come in and do what he's done when he came in for the U.S. national team and start putting a few goals in gets the hype and interest from the U.S. market it's to me it's a win-win so I think they looked at the risk of the type of player they wanted to bring in how they could help the team produce and avoid relegation and then also on top of that be able to get that interest from the U.S. market and help the team put on more global scale to me it seems like a win-win-win from an Augsburg perspective and I'm curious to see what Manuel has to say. Yeah, I, I, I personally, I think they're overpaid. Um, I'm going to get a lot of hate for saying that, but I think they're overpaid um, a lot. Obviously, they had to, to get them. Um, I think I'm going to be very curious to see if they can, and this is this is going to be a huge key, in my opinion, is whether they can get Michael uh, Grigorich going, you know, um, who's, who's a supporting striker and um, can be very good in setting up setting up people around him and that's going to be key and the other thing that i'm actually wondering if augsburg all of a sudden thanks to david as blitzer um who today also bought real salt lake um maybe they're going to bring in someone else as well i mean would that really be surprising at the moment now that they have all of a sudden uh, found this money um to make investments it's an interesting one i mean filippo um i see your hand raised eager to jump in so go for it Yeah, I just wanted to add one thing before you get hate for it. Uh, I actually believe the same. I, I So look, maybe five years from now, if Pepe blows up in Bundesliga, does well, then Augsburg could say, see, we didn't overpay. We just sold the kid for $50 million now. Fine. With the current data and information we have on Pepe and everything and how much they could have gotten him from because Wolfsburg was going to pay less. And as you said, it was pretty much agreed upon. I also think they did overpay, which obviously they had to, one, to take the deal away from Wolfsburg, and two, probably to convince Pepe to come, right? It's not the most attractive club in the world. They're not in the most attractive situation because I, I personally think Wolfsburg will be fine 
in terms of relegation. I'm not so sure of Augsburg, right? So he could be in Bundesliga 2 next season. But yeah, I'll, I'll hand the mic to Josh, the rude Canadian. <laughs> the rude Canadian, yeah. No, um, I, I, I agree. I mean, the, the deal itself was very interesting and, and Augsburg had to overpay to, to, like you said, get the deal over the line and also be able to convince a player like this to come over here. But another thing that Ricardo Pepe is probably looking at is look at the success of a lot of, and, and even Augsburg as well, going for this deal. Look at the success of Americans in the Bundesliga. It's, it's been a historical league for Americans to find success. I mean, Pulisic, Gio are, are very recent additions to that. And if Ricardo Pepe is looking at that and looking like an opportunity to start and play right away instead of maybe going to Wolfsburg and not getting the minutes, going for a loan, it, the deal does make a lot of sense. And then having now investment to show like, okay, if you're serious about coming here, you're serious about performing, we're going to show you our faith in you. We're going to put this type of money, which is going to add a lot of pre- pressure to Ricardo Pepe. Cause like we said, this is a huge investment from Augsburg. So the pressure to perform will be there. And that's why I said, it's going to be a bit of a sink or swim. We're going to see exactly what type of mentality and personnel that this kid has when he comes over here and has to battle against ugly I guess not not ugly style of play, but in frustrating matches where he's not going to get a lot of touches on the ball, just to see that what he can do and what he can bring, and and hopefully help that team avoid relegation. Yeah, we're going to see it. Perhaps if the league goes ahead and we don't have tons of COVID cases on Saturday against Hoffenheim, uh, Hoffenheim side that has been very good in in Germany, very good, uh, played an excellent Hinrunde uh, in the top four. So we'll see how he does. And I think we'll all be eagerly watching. Um, I want to touch on Blitzer before we do some d- quick touch on uh, the mess that is Inter Miami. And I know Filippo probably wants to say something that uh, David Blitzer just bought, bought Real Salt Lake, um, a $400 million deal to buy that team. That's a huge one. MLS um, keeps throwing up enormous money. Um, and it adds to that portfolio that he has. And it's going to be interesting to see how the interconnection of all these different teams. He owns Crystal Palace as well, of course. New Jersey Devils are in there, Philadelphia 76ers. This is a man that um, is bringing a lot of know-how to Augsburg. And, you know, in general, I actually am for investment. I, I want to see more Americans come and do what they sort of what they've done in Italy and come to, to the Bundesliga and, and bring some of that know-how and bring money and I think it's a good thing that a team like Augsburg is paying this sort of money um, I wish more would do it um, I just find it interesting and I will probably touch on that in game pressing because we don't understand in time that it is Augsburg of all the clubs um, the club that was the most critical of investment invest other investor clubs to be the club that do does this is an interesting one in my opinion but uh, Filippo we want to talk about Inter Miami because house clearing <laughs> I mean they got rid of everyone Pizarro gone uh, Matuidi soon gone. Um, Julian I mean, he need to get um, rid of Diguain uh, too. They should. Yeah, he, yeah, everyone gone. I mean, um, first of all, I think Chris Henderson is doing a great job dealing with a really messy situation, right? Yeah, they. So they need a Inter Miami has been a mess, right? In the field, in out of the field, the whole situation with the four DPs last season, uh, in the beginning of the season, right? That they was it Pellegrini that they had a loan to the USL. Because yeah, they did to yeah, L one, so not even yeah, championship that was one. that was quite embarrassing from them, and and I feel bad because Miami is such a beautiful city. Uh, yeah. There's definitely a lot of soccer fans there. I go a lot to Miami. I know you love Miami too, Manuel. I think everyone does. <laughs> yeah, and and I was I was excited for the team. Not that I was going to be a fan of Inter Miami, but when I saw the whole branding with David Beckham behind it, the city. I was like, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. And if you look at the Tactical Manager TV logo, it was inspired on the Inter Miami logo. I don't know if any of you ever noticed that. It, it, you put them together, there's a lot of similarities. Obviously, I don't want them suing me like Inter Milan did to them or whatever happened um, in the beginning. But yeah, they have to clean up the house if they want to be taken seriously. And they do have to make signings. And I've heard, and this is not from sources, this is just from the news, that Apparently, Luis Suarez could be going there to Inter Miami. I, I think eventually Inter Miami, they seem like an ambitious team. They just need to get their their stuff together right now. I almost cursed, by the way, right now. Maybe you can give us some inside information there, Manu. Are they, who are they bringing? Who are they signing? 
You have to see. I mean, I see. I saw the Suarez thing too. There was that Brazilian that they were linked to from Palmeiras, right? Um, Rafael, he's not going. Vega's staying at Palmeiras. Vega. Is he? Is he staying? No, I know that they were very much after him. Um, I think that Chris Henderson is someone who, who likes to build a winner. He's done it at the Sounders. Um, I think what they got wrong is that they didn't hire people who understood MLS to run the club and put the club together. Um, and it's actually interesting because like, I did that Funge deal in, in Bradley interview today and um, Funge deal said to me the biggest part about hiring Canel was because he knew the league already. And I think a lot of ambitious clubs make the mistake to bring in these outsiders, right? Thinking that, oh, yeah, it's MLS, it's easy. And then it turns out, no, really, it's not. <laughs> you need to have a lot of know-how to understand the league, to work in this league, to understand all these crazy rules that this league has. And I think Inter Miami underestimated it and they're paying a heavy price for it because that fee... They essentially lost a DP spot because Rodolfo Pizarro is actually still a DP with them because they didn't get a loan fee. Um, they had to send him out on a free loan, which means he's actually still on Inter Miami's books. So he's not there. Um, he just frees up a, a squad spot and the 630,000 uh, like, um, salary that he makes, but it's not a DP spot still freed up. So it's going to take a few years to detangle this. Um, and I think that's that's what happens if you don't get started right in this league if you mess up and if you mess up you pay a price for a long time um so yeah, i find that very interesting but yeah boys i think um we're almost out of time so if you any of you wants to jump in and have anything else added to the show before we wrap it up this is your moment to speak up dude that's it we've we've talked way too much and we were all over the the world today we talked about brazil europe even inter miami came into the conversation so I'm good. I'm good. I don't know about Josh. I, I think Adrian has been quiet for too long, so he should probably be the one to, to say bye to everyone today. Josh, any last words? Otherwise, I'm going to do it. Three, two, one. It's all yours. All right. Well, I have nothing to say. I've been sitting here for a long time just listening to this great conversation. But yeah, once again, thank you everyone for joining in. This feels weird with me doing it. Manu, you take the reins for the last little end bit here. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, happy New Year's, everyone. Um, this is great. And I can't wait to be back. And I'm glad we're back on our, regular, on our semi-regular schedule. And yeah, guys, hopefully we'll actually get to see some football this weekend. And uh, screw you, COVID. Cheers, guys. And bye-bye. 